All right, new space, new angle. Wanted to make sure you could see the Christ candle prominently behind us for this Pentecost week. And uh, we are going to call this sermon Brackets. And just brace yourself because it's kind of a heady sermon, but you know, hopefully that's good for our heads to do a little thinking and hopefully there's a little something in here for our hearts as well. So thanks again to Mark for doing our reading, John 14. That is not the usual Pentecost story, of course. The usual one is Acts 2, which is Luke's version, Acts Luke's same author. This is John's version and they are really different, right? The Acts one is incredibly dramatic. There's fire and wind and thousands are being baptized. The Spirit comes upon all of them. And when people see the effects of the Spirit on them, it's so sensational. Onlookers think they must be drunk. It's all very obvious and in your face. And what John describes is the opposite, right? People don't even realize what they're seeing. Jesus is saying his goodbyes. And the disciples say, Jesus before you go, could, could you please at least just show us a glimpse of the Father? <laughs> to which Jesus is like, what do you think I've been doing this entire time? Like, what do you think my whole life has been? To see me and my ways is to see God and God's ways, and then your job is to follow in those same ways. And then the Pentecost part, it's not the arrival of the Holy Spirit as it is in Acts, it is the foretelling of it. And what happens is, essentially, after charging us to walk in his ways, Jesus then gives us two gifts to help us actually do that, the gift of his spirit and the gift of his peace. Though those two gifts might kind of turn out to be one and the same. Now, there's a game Andrew and I play sometimes, like a challenge. So think, you know, long car trips or laying in bed at night. And when I tell you what it is, I urge you not to be intimidated by how unbelievably cool we are and how glamorous our life is. But what we do is we are on a quest to think of English words with the most diverse sets of meanings. So like, like brackets, right? Like a bracket can be like that strong elbow that holds up a shelf, helps it bear the weight. Brackets in a sentence can kind of enclose a separate thought. Brackets can mark a category, like the high-income bracket. And then in sports, a bracket is that tree diagram that says who's going to play whom as teams get knocked out in the tournament. And, and our quest, our quest is really to find the word with the most totally unrelated meanings. Plenty of words have different usages, but they all tend to be related, you know, like, like turn. You can turn around, turn the page, turn professional, take a turn. Those are all different, but, but it's all kind of the same, right? You know, like you're all changing from this to that. So we're looking for a word with the most, um, the biggest set of meanings that have nothing to do with each other at all. And you might already be thinking of some ideas in your head right now, but the best one we've come up with so far is the word post, right? Because a post can be a piece of wood sticking out of the ground. Uh, it can be mail that you send, noun or verb. You can post, display, a photo, a sign, a poster. A company can post, kind of like achieve, record, a financial gain or a loss. In basketball, you post up. That's pretty good, right? Those are pretty different meanings. But we are not yet convinced that this is the ultimate winner because we have this, this sneaky suspicion that there might be an even better word out there. So, you know, we're still, we're still working on it. You can tell me uh, if you think of any contenders and, you know, I will keep you posted on our progress. Uh, and by, 
by now, some of you may have figured out where I'm going with this, right? Uh, which is that this passage from John has not one, not two, but three different words, which each could be a contender for most unrelated meanings. Um, and those three words are the words advocate, spirit, and peace. Or in the Greek, it is paraclete, pneuma, and irene. So we'll start with advocate. That's the one that Mark already touched on in the scripture reading. The Greek is paraclete. Translators have always struggled with how to put this into English. Um, other Bibles will call it the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the strengthener. One meaning for sure of that Greek word is a legal advocate, like an attorney who stands up for you and counsels you and advocates for you in a time of trial. Um, but paraclete isn't always a legal thing. It can also mean a companion or a comforter. So in other words, by the Holy Spirit, God is always with us, like walks alongside us an ever-present help in times of trouble, like the psalmist says. Um, so two different meanings for paraclete. One's very adversarial. One's very kind of harmonious and relational. Both are trying to tell us that the Holy Spirit is like this promise of God's solidarity with us. Like, like, it's like saying, God is on your side. Well, that's paraclete, advocate. That's John's special term for the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the second word is the word spirit itself. Because in Greek, as in Hebrew, the word for spirit is the same as the word for breath. So in Hebrew, it's ruach. In Greek, pneuma. They both mean spirit and breath. So in Genesis 2, in the beginning, it says God formed us out of the dust of the earth and then breathed the breath of life into our noses and we came alive, um, which is just this incredible paradox, right? We're so fragile, so fleeting. We come from the dust. We return to the dust. And yet, at the very same time, we have been breathed into by the creator of the universe, the breath of God, the Spirit of God is in our lungs. So the Holy Spirit is both the essence of God, huge, utterly out of our control, beyond our ability to even imagine, and at the same time, as close and accessible as our next breath. God's Spirit is the breath in our lungs, our life force, and for our world as well. And the last word... It's the word peace. It's Irene in Greek, which even sounds peaceful, doesn't it? It's a beautiful word, Irene. And, and partly, Irene means exactly what we think it means, which is like a, a space that is free from violence, no fractures, no factions, no worries, no fears. But Irene has another meaning, too. In addition to the absence of negative things, Irene can also mean fullness completion like the word wrote the root word i wrote it, it means it means a joining like to tie together different parts into one cohesive whole which isn't that just a beautiful image of the salvation of jesus both for us and for our world it's like all parts join together into one integrated whole that is irene the peace of christ now my friends we talk a lot about God being with us, right? Whether we use the term advocate or helper, companion, or something else, we talk a lot about the gift of God's presence, and we should. 
because we all really need to know that we're not alone. And we talk a lot about the gift of God's Spirit, at least I hope we do, especially on Pentecost. And we should talk about that gift of the Spirit because it is our life force and our breath. And and anytime we somehow are able to give or receive something meaningful or of value in this life, it's always by the power of that Spirit, that life force that fills us like almost in spite of ourselves. And we talk a lot about the gifts of God's grace God's forgiveness, God's love, how we should remember them, receive them, share them with others. And we should. We should. These are the building blocks of the life of faith. And that all that is really good stuff. But this week, I especially want to claim this gift of peace. You know, like, what does it look like to be a person who knows the peace of Christ? What does it look like for us to be bearers of peace who carry it from here to the places that need it out there? What does it look like for us to be outposts of peace out in our violent and stressed out world? Two gifts Jesus gives us in this passage, remember? The gift of his spirit and the gift of his peace. But they really go hand in hand, hey? Because at the end of the day, Our ability to be an outpost of peace has nothing whatsoever to do with the level of chaos and violence around us and everything to do with how open we are to the Holy Spirit, how aware we can be in spite of all of it, of God's presence at our side, God's breath in our lungs, God's peace in our heart. This is why we come to church, friends. This is why we worship together. This is why we do this. When we're here, what is the very first thing we do, right? We stand and we bless one another with the sign of God's peace. And when we gather for worship, what is the very last thing that we do? We are sent out in peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. These are the holy brackets of worship. The peace to brace us and mark us and enclose us as people of faith. So, friends, when we pass the peace... May we really mean it and really receive it. May it continue to unfold in us throughout the worship service. And then when we hear that dismissal at the end and are sent out in peace, may we take that blessing and tuck it so firmly into our heart that no matter what life brings this week, nothing can dislodge those two twin gifts inside of us, Christ's spirit and Christ's peace alive within us. All right, one final blessing, my friends. This Pentecost, may we all be filled with the Holy Spirit. May we continue the quest to find words wide enough to make real to us this spirit that goes so far beyond words. May we each be outposts of peace in a violent and anxious world, not ignoring the violence, but but almost immune to it, or at least ultimately unswayed by it because we are protected by the fullness of our own spirits. And may God's spirit be the advocate at our side, the breath in our lungs, the peace in our hearts. Amen.